0: Guys, welcome to the Falcoholics Post Game Podcast from the 2019 season, week 16. The Atlanta Falcons at home taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Joining me as always is my co host and fellow writer of The Falcoholic, Evan Birchfield. Evan, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, we're
1: one day closer to Christmas, even though it's completely rushed up on us, but there's only one game left for the Falcons. so
0: Yeah, uh, we just got through game number 15 in what has felt like a very long, arduous season. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're all ready for this season to be over uh, with the way things have turned. So uh, with that, let's jump into it. The Falcons did win uh, their contest at home, taking on the Jaguars. It was, it seemed like their first time in years beating an AFC team. Uh, As many people know, the Falcons under Dan Quinn have had an abysmal record against the AFC since uh, 2017. And uh, they won it in relatively convincing fashion, 24 to 12. Uh, this was a, a game with uh, some people that stood out with dominant performances uh, that we we're sort of getting used to as Falcons fans. And uh, really, I think just uh, uh, another one of those games that some fans are going to be really aggravated that they won because of you know draft positioning. Uh, other fans are you know, sort of indifferent at this point and wondering if, if this is going to save Dan Quinn's job. That's a conversation for another time. We're going to talk about the specifics of this game. Uh, so let's start with the offense. Um, you know, they did put up 24 points. Uh, it was, you know, the Jack- Jacksonville had sort of a middle-of-the-road defense, um, although, you know, their defensive line coming into this game was was a very good one. Um, maybe not quite up there with the 49ers, but still a very high quality unit. Clayus Campbell is still playing at an extremely high level late into his career. Uh, you've got... You know, uh, some other guys up front that, you know, were just, you know, bulldozers on the line. And uh, I think there was some concern about the offensive line protecting Matt Ryan. They seemed to do a really good job, uh, especially with Chris Lindstrom, Caleb McGarry. Um, you know, those guys seem to be really coming along. So, Evan, what are some of your thoughts on the offense? Who stood out? Who do you think had a great game? Um, Where are some of the names that, you know, stick out to you when you think about that contest?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, at the top, it has to be Julio Jones, who had, you know, not maybe the same exact type of game as last week, but a similar game where the offense kind of flowed through him. Um, But silently, Devontae Freeman had a great game, probably his best in quite some time. Um, 13 carries, 53 yards and a touchdown. Rushing, he seemed like normal. I mean, there was some uh, plays that were called back due to holding. Um, So the 53 yards, you know, it should have been actually more probably around 70 to 80-ish, if not more. And then you look at how he was in the passing game. He had 11 targets, which, you know, I I don't have it in front of me, but that's got to be one of his career highs. That's a ton of targets his way, just passing-wise. Nine receptions, 74 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, aside from that, it was, you know basic you know what what normally happens matt ryan had you know he sh- he had two interceptions which one of them kind of was a great play by the defender so i'm not putting that fully on ryan um but had you know a normal matt ryan day 32 45 384 and a touchdown and then the two interceptions um yeah i mean overall it was just a great day um Along the offensive line, there's really no stat for this, but I've noticed the offensive line just seems better now that Lindstrom's been back. Um, yeah. I can't mark that up as just a coincidence. I feel like that ha- he has something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, the offense has scored, I don't know what, like 20, probably 20 plus in, the, in five of the last six games or something like that. They've, you know, it's not like they've been putting 40 up constantly, like 2016, it felt like, but. This season, they've been doing, you know, at least the second half of the season, I should say. Um, right. They've been doing a better job, probably not enough to save Cutter, but um, I mean, you, you know, without Calvin Ridley, Hooper, who's looked in the past two games like he was a little dinged up, he had a better game, seven of 82. Um, but, you know, aside from that, uh, did you see anybody else who stood out to you? I mean, Allison, again, Getting the goal line <laughs> vulturing, um, as it seems like he always does. I think Dave put up on Twitter that if he had, um, well, uh, you know, I don't. I'm gonna find it while you're talking because I don't want to butcher yeah, it.
0: Looked, it was funny. Yeah, go ahead and look for that because okay. it was pretty good. Uh, some of the guys that stood out to me uh, definitely Freeman, uh, more as a receiver than as a runner. Although he was a good runner, uh, you know, he had a good good game. Um, he had some fantastic catches, uh, including one that I don't know how he made. He had to turn back over his uh, left shoulder and uh, you know, basically dove for it. And it was a reminder that you know he is an exceptional receiver out of the backfield. Um, was second in targets. <laughs> uh, you mentioned he had 11 targets. Julio had 15. Uh, so he was right behind him. And Hooper had nine. Uh, so that those were your top three. Um, Brian Hill. Uh, you know, who has sort of been an enigma this year, mm-hmm. but I feel like when he gets good blocking, he is an explosive runner. He had seven yeah. carries for 66 yards, which is a 9.4 average. So, you know, I mentioned this on Twitter. Uh, I feel like the running game, you know, we, we tend to um, put all the blame on the running backs, um, which is never an accurate representation of how that works. Uh, but I don't think it's any coincidence that you know. I on, on the day that Devontae has a good game on the ground, that Brian Hill has a good <laughs> good game yeah. on the ground, and that's you know probably in large part due to the offensive line doing their job, the play calling maybe being a little bit better, not as predictable. So his seven for sixty six, I think, is a reminder that he can be a capable number mm-hmm. two, uh, and I think that's you know that's what we have to keep in mind. It, it, I don't think he's a number one. Guy, um, but in a rotation, he's he's a quality option, and uh, you know, I think it's worth monitoring going into 2020. Um, the other thing I've noticed is Russell Gage has turned into a pretty consistent contributor on this offense. Now he's not going to be a top receiver; he's not going to be a guy that's going to pull down you know 10, 15, uh, you know, receptions in the game. But he is getting like five receptions uh 50, 60 yards per game on average. Um, and for a guy who's in the second year, I think that is exactly the kind of development you want to see out of him. So uh, you know, assuming Julio and, and Calvin are healthy, uh, you know, Gage is a, you know, behind your tight end. So he's gonna be really your fourth or fifth receiving option on any given day. Uh and that's the kind of productivity you want to see. You know, six targets, five receptions. Uh so I I like how Gage has been progressing In this offense, because, um, you know, when we got rid of Sanu, a lot of that was not just the belief that Calvin Ridley would be, you know, a a good uh, number two wide receiver. I think everyone knew that. Mm -hmm. I think Russell Gage was a big contributor to Sanu being traded because they felt like he was ready to step up into that wide receiver three role. And I feel like he's doing that. So, uh, you know, his stats aren't going to blow the doors off but they're consistent enough that I think you look at him and you say okay he is absolutely worth keeping around in that third receiver role and Ryan likes him you know he he Ryan targets him as a legitimate third receiver on this roster and uh I think that that says a lot so and that that is arguably going to get even better given that this is his first year really contributing as a receiver you know last year he was only out there as a special teamer so uh, I really like his development. And I know, you know, when we're talking about stats, uh, again, nothing is eye popping about him, but I like that he's fitting that role very nicely for the team. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, I just want to mention I found that tweet I referenced earlier. So Dave said, Quadri Allison, uh, here, here's his, uh, if he had 100 carries next year in 2020, um, he would be on pace for. 200 yards and 20 touchdowns, <laughs> <laughs> oh, which, is pretty, oh which is pretty accurate because, I mean, he he gets like one or two carries a game. It's always at the goal line and it's for, yep. you know, one or two yards and boom, he scores. I mean, credit to him. He is a goal line back. Like he's doing his job at the goal line.
0: Yeah. So. And he's a rookie, you know, so you have to yeah, keep that in mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. They might start to work him, you know, a little further back and stuff like that Um, because when freeman was out hill was the primary you know and it seemed like he was getting pretty much the bulk of it um although allison did vulture a couple then too but yeah i liked what you were saying about hill he's basically what you want in a running back too, change of pace back whatever you want to call it because um, when he was starting he was struggling but you see how he is in that reserve role and he flourishes every week so
0: yep uh one thing i did want to point out before we uh, go into the, the second half and talk about the defense, which I think was uh, you know, a, a good game uh, for them, is the fact that uh, you know when we're talking about the offensive line, uh, Jake Matthews, obviously fantastic game. I think he was our second highest rated offensive player um, on the day. Um, you know, uh, Alex Mack has been playing much better as of late. My concern at this point, you know it, McGarry and Lindstrom are going to get take their lumps to the rookies, that's what you expect. My concern is at left guard, and my concern yeah. is not just the, the guys playing. You know, we're playing Wes Schweitzer. We know what Wes Schweitzer is. He's not going to suddenly become a quality starter. He is a backup. He's a he's decent for a backup that has to start you know, occasionally. But the thing that blows my mind is that this coaching staff—they saw Matt Gono play, uh, according to PFF at least, and according to what I saw. He played fairly well at right guard, uh, better than what anything we had seen from Schweitzer or Brown uh, or Carpenter before that point. And uh, since then, they have essentially uh, blackballed him again. Uh, mm-hmm. He is, you know, I, I don't understand why we can't give him opportunities at left guard when uh, Schweitzer is has not been good, frankly. And we know Schweitzer isn't the future. Gono has the potential to. You know, to be a starter at this point. And, you know, he's, we've seen flashes of it, but we never get to see it consistently enough to make that determination. This feels a lot to me. uh, If we go back several years um, at the end of Mike Smith's tenure with the Falcons, it reminds me of Smitty constantly starting Jeremy Trueblood at right tackle. Mm -hmm. Even though we knew, we knew what Trueblood was at that point, he was not. A quality starter. At best, he was a backup. Uh, and even at that, you know, you probably could even find better guys than him. And we had this young player on the bench who we had seen in preseason. We had heard the coaches talk about him. Uh, this sounds very, very familiar. And the guy's name was Ryan Schrader. And he finally got a start at right tackle. And imagine that he was <laughs> light years better than Jeremy Trueblood. And I feel like we're in that boat again with Matt Gono, where we hear all this talk about him. We see him in the preseason. We're like, this looks promising. And then he is put in the witness protection program. And it's just incredibly frustrating. Uh, and again, these are meaningless games. If we're going to give him playing time, these are the games in which to do it. So this is you know, just a little rant for me. I'm a little frustrated. That we're not seeing some of these young guys get the opportunity, um, especially when you know you're on a you're a six and nine team. You have nothing to play for except for the future, and the future is about your players uh, who could turn into something, not the players who you already know what they are. So, uh, Falcons need to be done with West Schweitzer. They need to um, put him on the bench where he belongs. See what they have in Gono. If Gono's not the guy, at least you will know you know? Uh, so rant there for me. Um, Evan, anything else you want to add on to the offense before we move on um, to the other side of the ball?
1: Yeah, no, just a quick thing. And I'm sure everybody's already heard of it, but um Julio Jones, you know, hadn't had a career achievement. I think last week Matt Ryan had a career achievement and then this week was uh, Julio's time. Um He's the fastest in NFL history to 12,000, uh, receiving yards and he did it in 125 games and jerry rice was was the leader he did it in 142 so i mean definitely wow. we're in a more passing heavy league but it's still i mean if if there was any question that he's not a hall of famer like there like, <laughs> it's <laughs> over
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you have to consider that um you know you mentioned Jerry Rice but there are other guys mm-hmm. who you know you think about Randy Moss yeah um uh, Terrell Owens uh Calvin Johnson that are not ahead of Julio on mm-hmm. that list that you know were in the more modern era of passing and yep. those are arguably three guys that will be uh in in the Hall of Fame yeah. so uh, and the, the resumes are very strong. Anyone who thinks Julio doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame is not paying attention.
1: Yeah, um, or or they just hate they hate the Falcons.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's there's plenty of those to go around. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna come back and talk about special teams. We're gonna talk about the defense. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. And we're back on the Falcons post-game podcast, recapping the Falcons' 24-12 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars in week 16. Falcons are now 6-9. They have an opportunity to go 7-9 to, to finish out this season, matching last year's record. Uh, we're gonna talk about what they did defensively against the Jaguars because uh I think this is where really they they had their best game. You know, the offense played decently. They put up 24 points. It, you know, it felt like they left a lot of points on the board. There were some drop passes. You know, the Matt Ryan interceptions uh, didn't help. Uh, not that they were egregiously bad, but it just it felt like the offense could have scored more and they didn't. The defense, on the other hand, I felt like um, whether it was a combination of uh, Jacksonville just being incompetent, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I like actually like Gardner Minshew. Uh, I think he's got some potential to be a good starting quarterback in this league. Um, he struggled uh, through you know most of the game as a rookie often does. Uh, and it, but the defense seemed to really do uh, you know their job. So you know if we were looking at uh, some of the top defenders, you know the guy at the top of the list is not going to surprise anybody. it's Grady Jarrett. Uh, the man, you know it it blows my mind that during the, this offseason, we actually had fans saying that Grady did not deserve to get paid. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> this guy, is legitimately one of the five best interior pass rushers in the entire league. Um he has had several several sacks taken away from him this year on absolute garbage penalties including the one last week uh against the 49ers and you know he had a sack in this game. Grady it, you know even when he doesn't get the sacks he is just terrorizing uh the quarterback. He got to Minshew several times. Uh, And you could tell Gardner was like, I want nothing to do with this man. (laughs) Uh, So he stood out to me. I felt like the secondary as a whole actually did a fairly good job of keeping uh, the Jacksonville receivers covered. You know, Jacksonville's receivers are not really a premier unit. So, you know, Mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt. I think Beasley, uh, I thought, did a good job again in this game. Uh, I think he picked up another sack. Uh, and yeah, you know, some, uh, some overall good performances from some of these guys. So Evan, who are some of the names that stood out to you? Maybe some of the, the guys that stood out on PFF, anything yeah. you want to add on what stood out from the defense?
1: Yeah. Uh, Bleedy, I think for two straight games, at least since Trufant's gone down, um, went down, he, he's done pretty well and he's graded well on PFF also. Um, I know he gave up that, the one touchdown to, uh, Chris Conley. And that was kind of an ugly play. But aside from that, he's stepped up and done pretty well. Um, I don't know if anybody has kind of flipped the script more than Vic Beasley right now. Um, he, I mean, he's he's getting sacks, yeah, no you kidding. know. Um, he's <laughs> at, what, I think like eight right eight. now on the season, the which season. is a respectable number. It's not like, you know, three or four or something. Um, yeah, I mean... Aside from that, I mean, you you talked about the secondary, Sheffield. You know, we're without our best guy, Desmond Trufant, who's on IR. So you think the secondary is going to fold? Oliver's looked pretty good, even though for some reason he hasn't graded very well on PFF. um, But I thought he's looked pretty decent. Um, But yeah, I mean, on, on when you look at the stats for the Jaguars, the big takeaway for me was it seemed like for most of the game, anyways their receivers weren't getting a lot of, um, I mean, they were getting targets, but they weren't getting a lot of catches um, there. Yeah. I think their highest reception total for a receiver was two, um, which was <laughs> Westbrook had to Chark, who, if you play fantasy football, you know, has been like a top 15 player receiver. He was held to two receptions in 18 yards. Um, Chris oh, Conley, wow. I mentioned had that one long kind of fluky, touchdown i mean he earned it but it was kind of like a broken thing there by Bleedy. um two receptions 56 yards and a touchdown that was their best receiving option um you mentioned Minshew. i like Minshew too he but he kind of i mean like he threw 13 of 31 which is a bad number had 181 yards of touchdown no interceptions um fournette's one of the better running backs in the league he had 15 carries in 71 yards no touchdowns so there wasn't really a huge threat in the running game. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I, I mentioned it, you know, and I know we're just focusing on this game, um, but I mentioned it on Twitter. I mean, you look at how that one part of the season during the bye week where Dan Quinn kind of relieved his duties of doing the defense the first half of the season yep. in the eight games. I mean, they allowed 250 at this point through the last seven since the bye week only 127 points allowed. I mean, that's, wow. it, it's insane it's how much. They yeah. Yeah. And not only that, um, you look at the turnovers game. So in the first eight games, they only got four turnovers. Um, the defense, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and since the bye week they've had 13. So that's one less game. So that could easily go to like 15 or 16 or something next week against, yeah. uh, against Jameis Winston. Um, shit that could actually go to like 18 <laughs> for, for the way I saw him play this this past weekend um but yeah I mean it's hard to you know and you look at like we're without Keanu Neal Desmond Trufant as I mentioned um mm-hmm. the defense doesn't have you know is it fully healthy but I mean you look at like how they stepped up late in the game the Jaguars almost scored again um and then on that third down uh Jack Crawford and Kaminsky got that half sack um on uh, Minshew, and then I can't remember who it was, but somebody knocked down the pass in the end zone. It's like, that's what defense's jobs are. And the defense actually played very well, um, had the team constantly. I mean, you could even make that argument for since the bye week, has constantly kept the offense to where they could win the game. You know, the defense isn't going to score all the points. They may get a touchdown every now and then, but their job is literally just to keep the offense within like a touchdown of the other team, like keep it where the game's still alive. Um, but I mean, they've, they've only let up 12, I mean, 12 points in this game. Um, what was it against the Saints, six or something like that? And then I think nine against the Panthers, or maybe I have that flipped, like the defense has been doing its job, you know, and you, yeah. it's hard to single out one, one or two people. Cause I mean, they're collectively doing it. Um, yeah.
0: And, I think that's a key point. The you've got multiple guys sort of stepping up, and uh, you don't necessarily need everyone to play at an elite or Pro Bowl level, yeah. but you need you need guys to do their jobs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned you know the PFF grades, and, and sometimes they're hit or miss as far as what you see in the game. They'll you know you'll see someone with a really low score, and you're like where did that come from? Uh, so I always try to take it with a grain of salt, but. Um, I did think, you know, John Kaminsky again. Here's another player who's barely getting snaps. They talked about him all this time. Yeah, Uh, he gets, he finally gets 12 snaps and has like a really good PFF grade. And you know, had the half sack. Uh, Like, I want to see more of Kaminsky. You know, I want, I want to see more of some of these young guys. I want to see, you know, the guys who. Uh, are going to be on the roster next year because they're first-year players and we know they're going to be back next year. Like, we, Why can't we see them now? Well, what I don't um, understand,
1: Sonat, he was the sixth highest ra- or graded and then he was inactive again. I mean, I guess they yeah. just didn't need him. But, I mean, at this point, why not see what he, he can do? I mean, he, it wasn't like he maybe wasn't the best player last week but he's he was far from the worst, at least graded wise. And I didn't notice him making any big mistakes. So, you know, you could kind of put him in with your rant on Gano, like it's the same sort of thing where it's like, because I could easily see them moving on from him and he's not going to be Aaron Donald or anything, but he could go somewhere else and probably be decent. I mean, there's a lot of teams that need defensive line help, it's not just the Falcons um, even though they've stepped up recently, but It's not like we're – let's not kid ourselves and think we couldn't use more talent along the defensive line. Like, he could easily go somewhere else this offseason or whatever, Um, whether they trade him, release him. I don't know his contract situation. But, um, I mean, you said it best. You're not making the playoffs. Um, (laughs) See what these guys are doing because preseason is a lot different than regular season. Like, even if you're playing these games and you have literally – no chance of making the playoffs. It's over. Um, there's still regular season games. Even for the Jaguars, they played the same way. They're, both teams are out of the playoff hunt. See what you got. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. At this point, uh, you know, they've got one more game and uh, they can still use it for evaluation purposes. I've, I think what's probably happening is Dan Quinn realizes he needs to win as much as possible yeah. to save his job. Uh, so he is probably trying to put the guys out there just like Smithy did, you know, where Smithy was not comfortable with young guys uh, where his job is on the line because um, young guys make more mistakes on average than veterans. Um, so, you know, I get that. But at the same time, uh, you know, those young guys may make more uh, positive plays. So even if you have a veteran who's going to make less negative plays, uh, you know, maybe a John Kaminsky uh, where a sonat can make uh, you know more of the big splash plays that can actually turn a game, uh, and you know, and, and to be honest, when you've got guys on defense who just aren't cutting it, what are you going to hurt uh, by putting them out there? And, and the same on offense, obviously. Um, so, Evan, uh, to close out, I, we're going to have fun with this one. Yeah. Um, special teams. Why don't you tell us your thoughts on? special teams in this game
1: oh okay well of course what everybody wants to hear is Ryan Allen's pretty good and I think he's going to be the punter next year he's definitely earned the if they move on from Bosher he definitely has earned the starting role into preseason how a competent team should be and not like how they did with the kicking game this past offseason Mm -hmm. you bring Ryan Allen or you keep Ryan Allen um and you let him lose the job uh, bring in a yeah. you know a cheap undrafted whatever you want to do there that's fine. Um, but Ryan Allen, I mean he's he's been doing work since and it's not like he's come out of nowhere. He's a Super Bowl champion from the New England Patriots for several years, I think three years, um, and he was there for a couple seasons. Uh, he's done f- phenomenal. I mean I, I, for a position that has been so up and down this season, um, I feel pretty good about the punting situation if Ryan Allen's a punter. Um, whether they feel the same, you know, that's, that's up to them. And then, um, in, in the kicking spot, I mean, it's like, I want to love this dude, but he's like, it's fun. The onside kicks is definitely something, but it's like, the Falcons are afraid. And I think you saw my tweet, but the Falcons are afraid to let him kick 50 plus. They just are. Um, he made one uh, a couple weeks ago and it, doinked off the doinked goal. In. It wasn't a pretty fifty yarder. Yeah. And it was like fifty-one. It wasn't like fifty-seven or something. Um and then he missed a forty-two yarder in this past game. Uh I mean if you're if your plan is to kick him or you know have him kick in the forties and less, that's fine. But the offense isn't always going to be able to get him into the fifty range. Um and he's only right. had one attempt there and I, I think it was a 54, 56 yard attempt they could have kicked and they chose to punted I think Punt um yep. Yep. and they that sure says did. that says a lot um so I don't think as you know it's fun like you know he's a fun dude he's he's got the you know the onside kick thing down but it doesn't exactly concrete the kicking position in my eyes because you still have to be making these field goals um you yeah. know especially in these key moments like the season's a wash anyway so it didn't matter plus I mean if the, if he made the field goal You know, he he obviously missed it, so it didn't ruin the Falcons' chances of winning the game. But you have to make those kind of field goals. And, yeah, so that's – I mean, that's pretty much my rant. I just don't think it's as concrete as people want to think, you know, like people basically saying he's the next, you know, Matt Bryant and stuff like that. Like I don't see that yet. Oh, no. You know, the next kicker who's going to be with us for a decade. I have to see more – from 50 plus because in my eyes, and maybe it's unfair kickers should make, you know, they're going to miss a couple here and there, but he's, he's missed two from between 40 and 49. Um, one between the 30 and 39, like even as much as people hate Matt Bryant this year, um, he wasn't missing, like, let me pull it up real quick. I believe he was perfect from the 40 to 49 range. His struggles came from the 50 plus range and that's not even where Koo's kicking from. So It's kind of an unfair comparison. Yeah. So he was three for three. Uh, Matt Bryan, I'm speaking about was three for three in the 40 to 49 range. Um, But his big troubles came. He was two for six in the 50 plus range. Uh, You know, you just, those are the sort of things where you have to be making those 50 pluses. And that just kind of opened my eyes. Now, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't feel like they needed to kick a field goal in that position. Um, and they just preferred to punt it. I don't know. But I just noticed it because I was kind of like, that's interesting that they're not kicking the field goal there, or at least attempting it. Again, we're in a game that doesn't mean anything.
0: Um, yeah. So why not? I mean. No, I thought it was a, I thought it was a solid point you made. Um, it, it does it does feel like they're dodging it.
1: Yeah. Um, and this was, came I I after the missed field, field goal
0: too, by the way.
1: So right. I don't know if that adds yeah, in the context and, of it,
0: but. Possibly, and it could be that you know what they see in practice is you know we don't know what they see in practice, but maybe he is just not uh, a very good kicker at fifty plus. Yeah. Um, and certainly, we haven't seen anything to you know dispel that notion. Uh, so you know, sort of your point going into twenty twenty, I think you have to have a competition um, going into training camp. Uh, they can't do what they did this year, where they handed the job to Tavecchio. Um, you know, I, I think you bring in. You know another kicker, uh, maybe you know <laughs> two kickers uh, to yeah. see how they go through the preseason. Uh, I, I don't think you have to hand it to Kue at, at this point. There's no reason you have to lock him down uh, because honestly, uh, you know we got spoiled by having such a great kicker for such a long time, um, and you know he's. I think you you have to keep looking for a guy who's going to be a little bit more consistent. Uh, especially short, if you're not going to kick 50 plus, then you gotta be really consistent at, you know, 49 and under. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think he's been consistent enough that I would say, give him the job. Uh, no questions asked.
1: Yeah. Because, so, and the big thing too was, um, you know, mm-hmm. I saw a lot of fans bashing Matt Bryant for missing extra point. They've both kicked seven games for the Falcons this year. Um, and they're, they're. Extra point thing is exactly the same. They're both 14 of 15 because Ku missed that one. Uh, yeah. What was it? A couple weeks ago or whatever. Um, but definitely the 50 plus range is what screwed Matt Bryant um, because he'd pretty much have similar numbers if the Falcons were using Matt Bryant the way they've used Ku um, over the last seven games. So, I mean, it's going to be up to them. I mean, we really don't even know. You know, if Dan Quinn's gone, chances are the special teams coach is gone. So then, you know, that just opens a whole nother who knows sort of thing. So I wouldn't even worry about investing too much into that. Um, Plus, he's got one more game, you know, maybe he'll kick four 50-yard field goals next week. I don't know. Um, But I just... just, Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. And, you know, you got to have faith in your kicker at least to, you know, see what they have. What, I mean, seven games and he's got one attempt from 50 plus is bizarre to me.
0: It is. Um, So as you mentioned, we have one more game. We'll see how he does there. Uh, And then we'll see what happens in training camp 2020, whether it's Dan Quinn, another coach. Uh, Certainly, I think uh, things next year are going to be very interesting, not just at special teams, but across the board. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Evan, as we close out, why don't you remind our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on?
1: Yeah. uh, So you can find me writing on the Falcoholic and then on Twitter at Evan Birchfield. I I have the tweet recap that comes out and it might be out already or it'll come out later um, this week. Usually I think it's like Monday or Tuesday, but yeah, just be looking for it. Um, And then, you know, just everybody, however you spend Christmas, the holiday season, you know, just have a good one. Um, Enjoy it with friends and family and however you spend it. Um, And then, you know, we got one more game left and me and DW will be back to, Recap that one, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers finishing the same way we did last season at Tampa. Um, yep. And then we got an off-season of a lot of question marks. So, yeah, just have a happy holiday and, yeah.
0: Yep. And for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Uh, our article is weekly at thefalcoholic.com. Uh, and so that, as Evan mentioned, uh, I hope all of you have a fantastic christmas uh, holiday season however you choose to celebrate uh one more game to go and then we will begin the process of examining what the 2020 falcons may look like it's going to be really interesting off season uh for all the wrong reasons unfortunately but <laughs> we'll be here to cover it one way or the other uh so for evan birchfield this is dave walker thank you guys for tuning in we'll talk with you next time